0: sharing ideas
1: about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose, and now it's time for the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors. And I'm joined this week uh, by Tim Price, Director of Price Value Partners. Um, Tim, just before we begin, I just thought I'd read a a letter. I was going to say an amusing letter from the paper today, but perhaps not terribly amusing, certainly not for the person concerned. Sir, my bank sent a letter telling me of plans to offer an even better banking experience. Since my last experience was being told that interest rates had been revised down to 0.01% while I would be charged 20.93% to borrow, this should not be hard. Yeah, I say amusing, but it isn't really amusing at all. We were talking last week about how you felt the, the only story around really at the moment was inflation. Although, as you pointed out, central bankers uh, claim that the inflationary spike is just transient. But in both uh, the States and here, since we last spoke, um, the latest inflation numbers um, have gone up yet again. Uh, we don't know if they are transient. But of course, last week, you said you didn't even trust the numbers in the first place.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, the one thing that I was struck by was some figures that came out in the States pointing to, I think it was second quarter, um, second hand car sales, so used car sales. The supply chain problems globally have led to a collapse in the supply of new silicon chips for yes. um, basically, for I imagine all IT products, but including that. I mean, I don't drive, so I'm not the best person to comment on this, but I'm, I'm well aware that if you buy a car now, you're basically buying a computer as well. Yes. As well as you know, a diesel engine or whatever. So, um, and the fact was because clearly that chip shortage has had knock-on impact in the, in the, the new car space, what it meant was that the, the prices of second-hand cars had gone up, I think, 12%. And you think yes. these are the sort of impacts, these are, these are exactly the sort of inflationary impacts that you're seeing as a result of the, the, the bigger problem of sort of shutdown, lockdown, supply chain contraction and, and interference. This, this, this problem is not going to be transitory at all. I think it's, this problem is going to be, um, it's it's be long-lasting.
1: Yes, and of course, some um, uh, some governments, including ours, are trying to stop people actually t- eventually doing an old-fashioned second-hand polluting cars anyway. People are going to have to get to new cars, which they may well not be able to afford. So, um, so it, really, really it really
0: depends on who you think is going to win this this war of, if you like, chicken between the central banks and the market. At the moment, the the market is giving, if, if we go on the basis of bond yields, because US 10-year yields have shot back in from... Uh, About 1.7% to something like 1.3% over the course of the last quarter, which would imply that everyone's terribly resigned, relaxed about the future direction of interest rates and inflation. I'm just not that I'm not willing to be that uh, sanguine about things. So there's a report in today's FT that the so, Dave Ramsden, the deputy governor of the Bank of England, has warned that um, because of this uptick in inflation, they may have to raise rates sooner than previously expected. This this may just be, you know, George, or it may just be sort of wishful thinking and uh, sort of moral suasion, if you like. But uh, I, I'm just very sceptical about this whole thing.
1: Yeah. Now. <sighs> You revealed last week you're rather younger than me. I mean, there are some people around still in the markets, and indeed still around generally who can remember the last time inflation was actually, you know, a real problem. And we're talking really about the the seventies, 70s, yeah. um, which were a pretty dreadful time um, when it's generally reckoned banks, you know, raised interest rates to fight off inflation far far too late. Inflation got a, a Really ran away. Still not hyperinflation, but we were getting—you know—in prices were going up twenty percent or more. You you would notice.
0: Yes. Stuff certainly.
1: Yes, um, and we live in a different world though to then. Okay, um, we have discussed it before. We, we must again. I mean, we are living in a world in which raising interest rates now causes all manner of problems that probably were not around in the seventies.
0: For sure. So we we know the seventies experience, which is um, oil shocks, the dollar coming off gold. A leading union distress um, labor market distress all kinds of sort of social problems both in the states and here in the uk and the and the outcome of that was stagflation it was messily high inflation but with no attendant economic growth um you may say that it's a different world but i'd, I'd make the the riposte that the human nature doesn't change so in a, in a sense it's almost like a different circus same clowns um
1: yeah yes i suppose what i meant was that the because as you pointed out last week government debt corporate debt household debt is just so much greater the mm-hmm. effect of raising interest rates to try and head off inflation will be that much worse and of course probably because of that makes it even more difficult for central banks to take the action that presumably you would regard them as needing to take so or this... indeed moving aside and letting markets decide rates but that's clearly not going to happen
0: so whichever way you look it's it's impossible to see a good way out of this dilemma um and again, I, I come back to the point that if, if the problem is one ultimately of, of an oversupply of debt, there are only three ways of, of, of dealing with that predicament. One is through economic growth, which I now think is impossible. One is through default, which is effectively impossible in a, um, a credit-based monetary system such as we have. The third option is you inflate it away. And it's, that's the option that every government has ultimately always resorted, whether developed market or emerging, throughout all of, all of recorded history. So I think that's the, the thing that sort of faces us now. Um to put a more positive spin on things, that 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 doesn't mean that investors can't take action to protect their portfolios and in, in, indeed, perhaps thrive from what may be to come and what I think is already in train uh, as we speak. And that's obviously in inflation hedges, including commodity-related businesses. So, if if people are looking for um, a positive take on this, it's it, in our opinion, it is not too late to take advantage of perfectly sensibly priced commodities-related stocks, so listed businesses, but that derive their earnings from the commodities market, people like, you know, whether it's extractive businesses, i.e. miners, or whether it's other other forms of the commodities um, sector, and it it may or may not be a surprise to learn that relative to the US stock market, the S&P 500, commodities, generally speaking, have not been this cheap for 60 years. This is the best, in, in that sense, this is probably the most compelling investment opportunity of my entire life.
1: Uh, and of course, you, I mean, you pride yourself on following the, the, the maxim and the investment methods of Benjamin Graham. And of course, yep. you don't feel perhaps the same um, fear when you invest against the market than everybody else does, because as you've discussed in your, your book, Investing Through the Looking Glass, I mean, one of the most difficult things for investors is to it's a go against the herd. It feels somehow unsafe and disquieting and very it's, few investors can manage it easily.
0: That's right. It's extraordinarily difficult for any of us as human beings to go against the herd because we're hardwired to be tribal. Um, It's e- even more difficult for an investment prof- so-called professional to run against the herd because obviously he runs the additional risk, not just of being made to look like a fool, but actually of losing his job. So happily for me, I'm in a slightly different situation than I run my own business. So, you know, I only, I only run the risk of having to fire myself, which clearly is much of a risk most of the time. So... Uh, I'm in a different situation, but but the, the the point is the point is that it's 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 partly running against the herd, and it's partly also the amount of time it takes for those for those calls ultimately to come good. So there was a a, a very famous, very well respected Canadian value investor called Peter Kundall, and he made the point that you know the the most important characteristic for success in value investing is patience. Patience and more patience. And then in capital letters, he added to that, the majority of investors do not possess this characteristic. So the the, you know, the the fault here is 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 not in our stars, it's in ourselves. We are as humans, we are we're all fallen, we're all flawed, and we are hardwired to make to do the wrong things with our money. So if if it is possible for people to to take the longer view and to, to run against the the crowd, I think right now there are some amazing opportunities, and many of those are in what we'd call the real assets. <laughs> Precious metals and commodity space. Welcome to Share Radio, Tim. You often
1: say, and particularly in your your wonderful weekly commentaries, which I'd recommend to to anybody from Price Value Partners. But you talk about how many fund managers are more concerned with their relative performance, whereas most of your clients and indeed, you know, any sane individual would be more concerned about making sure that they can preserve their actual money. If your portfolio is going down in value, the fact that you're actually doing slightly better than somebody else is not necessarily going to be a great comfort. But one would have thought that if the market suddenly wake up to the threat of inflation and what the effect of all this, debt may well have as interest rates rise that markets as a whole are going to do pretty pretty badly but that would presumably would include absolutely everything wouldn't it or you you're you're then saying well if you just hang on long enough then the commodity related um, companies will eventually come good
0: i mean it's it's certainly the case that if the stock market decides it's gonna it's gonna mess the bed let's say then everything goes down lockstep pretty yes. much so it doesn't really matter what you own in stocks if the stock market is going to take a bath everything's going to get thrown out um, but that said, yes, the, the 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 fundamentally better quality, cheaper, more value things inclined. We would argue are are going to recover faster than let's say. The, the, so the difference between a value stock and a growth stock ultimately in a in a bear market is that basically a growth stock, no names, Amazon, no names, Tesla. Um, when a growth stock goes x growth, there's basically no there's no salvaging it. So in other words, yes. it, could, it could go down seventy, eighty, ninety percent before it before it hits the bottom. With a value stock, on the other hand, if it's cash generative and the underlying operations are are fundamentally sound, if you like it at 100, you're going to like it even more at 90 and 80. So our our view, sometimes clients will say if a stock moves against you, if a share price moves against you, where's your stop loss? But that's a a somewhat simplistic approach because that implies that the, the, the business is no longer worth having. If the share price is declining, at the same time that the underlying operations are unchanged or even better, then actually we're going to buy more. So that's the distinction. And when, mm. when growth goes X growth, you have to get rid of it. But when, when value gets sold off in line with everything else, it just becomes even more attractive. So the, the, the discerning between what's growth and what's value is critically important. To your point, the other thing that's, that, that's really relevant for the private client, for any investor is, what's your attitude to risk and how do you define risk? And also what's your benchmark? So to the benchmark point, we would always favor uh, an either a cash plus or an inflation plus benchmark or an absolute return benchmark, because as you rightly say, nobody is impressed by relative performance when that relative uh, relative performance is negative. You cannot take a negative return to the bank. What you can take is, which is what we endeavor to do, try and secure as much as possible of the upside, while simultaneously trying to protect as much of, as possible of the downside. So. We're we're quite resigned to not necessarily making as much when the market goes up, provided that we can try and secure as much as possible and protect against you know, the market falls as when they inevitably happen.
1: Um, clearly, if inflation returns, then then the, the split in society um, between savers and borrowers becomes even even um, greater. That'd be no real return on cash already I mean, there isn't, there's a negative return on it. But um, I mean, those people who are still relatively young and presumably expect that they can earn income for many years and their income may keep step with the, the rise in prices. It becomes much more difficult for those people who are towards the end of their working lives or indeed who have already retired, who may be relying on their investments to actually sort of save off um, poverty. So presumably if they are concerned, as you suggest, uh, if they're relatively fully invested now might be a time to perhaps look at your investments and work out which ones would suffer most heavily if the market turns
0: absolutely right so the way the way we look at this is whether our clients are retired or not we we pretty much treat their portfolio capital as if they were retired ie as if it were a permanent it were a source of permanent capital, it were irredeemable, irreplaceable capital. Therefore, we we, we focus mo- most of our efforts, if, if not all of our efforts, on protecting the, the, the starting value of the pot. Clearly, everyone wants to make a return as well, but not to such an extent that it, it risks jeopardizing the starting value of the pot. So for anyone that's, let's say, got a, a more traditional portfolio, something more mm. like the 60-40 portfolio, where the majority is invested in, in, in equity index tracker type product, and the balance is invested in bonds we'd say there is a real requirement now to be a more selective about your equity exposure because of the the the, the building risks of what let's say rising inflation will have on corporate earnings particularly for heavily indebted companies and if interest rates are then start to rise but also on the, the the debt exposure so the way we square all these disparate circles is firstly we're we're highly selective on the equity front We also use trend-following funds, which are a a good diversifier against basically traditional markets like stocks and bonds. They tend to to zig when the others zag. (laughs) And then the third component part is this this thing we call real assets, which is notably precious metals related, but it also now includes growing exposure to the commodity sector. These have historically always been good hedges against inflation. So if you're worried about it, I mean, the, the bond bull market began in the early 80s. So this bond bull market is extraordinarily long in the tooth. It cannot surely last much longer. If you're concerned about A, rising interest rates, or B, rising inflation, or possibly both, as you say, because they can't re- the central banks can't realistically raise rates too much. Therefore, I think the inflation is almost guaranteed to be higher than expected, precisely because the central banks can do very little about it. Otherwise, they'll crash the property market. So if you're concerned about all of those things, mm. it makes sense to diversify not least into sensibly priced real assets and commodity-related businesses because historically they've always done well in inflation.
1: Yes. Um, just one last question. You you often talk about um, different markets around the world. We talked about se- sort of like sectors earlier, but you talk about the way in which some markets are much, much better priced and not so dependent upon growth stocks. Are, are there safe markets? Uh, countries in which we have investing as well or should we not be thinking about that particular. no
0: time? i think that's a f- fair question so we, we've we've been concerned about the valuations in the u.s for, for ages but of course the u.s has been the best performing market so if you wanted to make money over the last 10 years you simply had to make one decision which is mm. by the u.s by the s p 500 now i think there's, there's the, the, the valuations are so stretched that it makes sense to be more more disciplined and more, and more diversified which of course we we always uh, endeavor to be anyway so our favourite markets, at a sort of gross geographic le- uh, level, would be Asia, ex China, because we don't invest in China for valuation and ethical reasons. But the markets in Asia that we still really like on valuation grounds, from a growth perspective, from an emerging perspective, it would be Vietnam, and from a developed market perspective, it would be Japan. The reason we love, still love Japan relative to say to the US, is Japanese Japanese companies, those that are still around, have been dealing with deflation now for an economic contraction for over two decades they are battle-hardened they have the healthiest balance sheets in the world in other words if we're going into a, a situation where economic stability is absolutely not guaranteed you want to back those businesses that have the most sound robust balance sheets those balance sheets are in japan they are not in america where a lot of particularly small to mid-sized companies are coming into what you know whatever schools are to come with more leverage than they've ever had before in history
1: jim Thank you very much. Fascinating. And, and so nice that we can put at least a positive spin on the, the rather depressing um, uh, conversation we had uh, last week. Um, I've been talking to Tim Price, Director of Price Value Partners. And that's been the financial outlook for personal investors.
0: Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.